And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. You've heard me talk about his reporting for years on this program, whether you listened in the Las Vegas market, the Kansas City market, or here in Michiana. Michael Yon, combat correspondent, author, photographer, fantastic photographer. Michael, it's an honor to talk to you again, man. How are you doing? Great. It's great to come on. Thank you for having me. I'm watching the rain out here on I-75. I've been with the truckers for two weeks. Finally uh, left them about 48 hours ago to do some admin uh, because, you know, there's um, building a media truck, actually, to cover these things more, uh, you know, intensely. Okay. And, uh, but what a, what a, go ahead. I was going to say, no, I, that's, that's pretty cool because I was going to ask if you were going to skedaddle off to Ukraine or, or what you're going to be doing. Actually, I made a conscious decision not to go to Ukraine. Uh, I almost went. It was, it was a close call, but that, what I was concerned about was the war would break out and I would get stuck there and not be able to get back here for more. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm an American, you know, through the core, and I'm very concerned about what's happening here at home, for instance, with supply chain. And uh, I've been warning about this for, you know, since January of 2020, for instance, to stock up on food and go heavily on that. And, uh, and I have specific reasons for that. Uh, I, by the way, I was in Lithuania last year, about, I don't know, eight months ago, and I was warning in writing and on interviews that something was up with Russia. I didn't know exactly what it was, but, you know, I was down in Morocco tracking the uh, uh, migrants and because, I, you know, as a war correspondent, I track migration patterns. So I was down in Morocco and Greece and Colombia and Panama, Mexico, tracking migrant patterns. And uh, finally uh, called up somebody in Warsaw, Frontex is the name of the organization, and asked how it was going up there. Chuck Colton called them. We were together. And um, they said, well, Belarus is pumping migrants over the Lithuanian border. So I said, wow, we were in Morocco at the time. I called up. Uh, I was with the Lithuanian army in Afghanistan, so I kept my contacts. And I called up and I said, hey, what's going on up there? And they said, do you want to come up? And I said, okay, we're on the way. So 24 hours later, we landed in Vilnius, and I spent three weeks there getting briefings, going full access to the camps, uh, out with their army, border patrol, elected officials, whatnot, three weeks of that. So I had a, an idea of what was coming. Of course, nobody really knows, uh, but we could see that Russia was up to something, and as was Belarus. And so I warned about that extensively. But in the meantime, of course, we have a bigger play going on, something called Panther War, Pandemic Famine War. It's like the triangle of death. Throughout time, when you have, uh, you know, a big pandemic, although this was a more of a pandemic, but the effects were the similar. When you have a really big pandemic, you'll get famines and wars. If you get a really big war, you'll get, you'll get famines and pandemics. And if you get big famines, you'll get the other two. If you get one, you get them all. So three musketeers. For instance, you know, the Arab Spring, how did that start? Famine, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so these things, uh, this is normal. And so in January of 2020, uh, you know, I'd been covering Hong Kong, the fighting there, and then they kicked me out. And I, I kept warning people that this, you know, this could be a serious deal, depending on which direction the pandemic goes. And later we learned it's a pandemic. Uh, but the, again, the effects are the same. And right now we're seeing production breakdowns. We're seeing fuel costs and other inputs into agriculture just exploding. Uh, you know, Putin uh, mentioned last night that, you know, you can see, uh, you know, oil prices going up to $300 a barrel. What are they now today? I checked this morning when I woke up. They were over 120 Uh, You know, is, is he right? I don't know. I asked a couple of people that know more about this than I do, and they said it's completely realistic that oil could go to 
$300 a barrel. Of course, that's a huge input for fertilizers uh, and, uh, and everything else that deals with the supply chains and everything that lands on your table. So what we're seeing here is my estimation is that by the end of this year, there's going to be global famines in places that are at this point more or less difficult to predict. But the music is about to stop. You see with the invasion of Ukraine, and which, by the way, I was saying in writing before the invasion that I thought Russia really was going to do it and that they really were going to go for all of Ukraine. I was saying that in writing. Uh, If you didn't put it in writing, it doesn't matter, so to speak, right? Or in your case, saying it on air. You need to say it in advance to establish your credibility on, you know, your track record. My track record, as you know, is quite good because I study like Rain Man seven days a week. And I go down range and I look, and, and you can see the the exports from Ukraine, one of the largest food producers in the world, as they've been stopped. Now, farmers will not be planting the way they normally do in Ukraine this year for obvious reasons, Russian tanks and firefights and that sort of thing. Not to mention, again, many of the farmers have just flooded out of Ukraine and they're in places like Poland right now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where I lived for two years, by the way. I'm very familiar with this area of the world i'm very familiar with it and so the the uh yeah this is gonna this is going to grow you see fertilizer when i was with the lithuanians last year they said clearly if russia does something or belarus does something serious we're going to cut off their trains right going and that means fertilizer well as we know russia has already uh almost stopped all fertilizer exports as has china meanwhile china has been telling their people for two years to stock up on food china has been uh, you know, shipping pork and other products out of the United States on a daily basis. They've been making a mega stockpile in China, and they've been telling their people to stockpile on a personal basis. I haven't heard one single state government in the United States say that Americans should stock up. Not anybody. It may, correct me if I'm wrong, has any state, and the federal government has done the opposite. They've said, you know, you shouldn't be stockpiling. You're going to be taking food from other people, which is completely ridiculous. We've had uh, open supply chains all the way up to this point. Of course, they're being increasingly damaged. That's why I just went with the truckers all the way from from uh, California. I flew out from Florida and went with them from uh, from California. Drove all the way across the country with them. Huge support on the sides of the road. I mean, you wouldn't believe it. We, we must have gone under a thousand bridges filled with people waving and on the sides of the road, mile after mile, you know, waving flags and 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 at the same time, I'm here not just to cover the trucker convoy. I'm, I'm very uh, sensitive to what's going on with the supply chain because if any part of this process breaks down, production, supply chain, uh, and, and, and anything else that gets in the way, violence that could stop supply chain, of course, we're going to end up with massive food shortages. And I don't mean Publix or Kroger has, you know, uh, one-third of the shelves are empty. I'm talking about the entire store empty, and it doesn't get refilled next week or next, or tomorrow, right? That's what we're looking at right now. We know midterms are coming up, uh, and we know that we saw what happened with the quote-unquote elections last time. Uh, by the way, I was there on January 6th. I did not go inside, but I was there, and I sensed the trap, so I did not go inside. Uh, but, you know, there's clear false flags. We've got a perfect situation brewing right now to just cancel the midterms. Why would they have them when they know that the last elections went, or if you want to call them elections, went exactly as planned, you know, stolen, right? And we're in a perfect situation where as soon as these shelves are empty, within 24 hours, there's going to be people looting everywhere. 
violence in the streets, Arab Spring. You know, these things are normal. I've read about 60 books on pandemic, six, zero, 40 before the pandemic, because I'm a war correspondent. Pandemic, famine, war, these go together. As a war correspondent, if you want to go out and get shot at and, you know, go make a documentary in the hills of Afghanistan, that's fine. That's junior high school level war correspondent work. That's, you know, firefights, bombings, airstrikes, you know. Okay, it seems big and bad at the time, and it is because, you know, it's pretty serious. But there's a much bigger field to look at. Famine, pandemic, migrations, information war. As you know, information war is the highest form of warfare. It's the Ph.D. level. I've written three books on information war. Unfortunately, they're all in Japanese because I've been working for years to try to wake up the Japanese that they are on the menu for China. Uh, you know, I've gone all over China going to their museums and whatnot, looking at the hatred that they're building for Japanese to target Japanese. If you want to know what a country's intentions are, look at their information campaigns. Look at their, for instance, look at the, the social media, Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, you know, mentioning anything about the People's Convoy and bam, they're shut off, that sort of thing, right? Yep. Uh, you, look, you look at, if you go to the Nanjing Museum, for instance, there's a giant museum in Nanjing. I couldn't believe how big it was. It, it, the thing, to be directionally accurate, that thing probably cost $50 million, like five zero. It's like a Disney World type thing. And you, you walk through it all day, and it's all about creating hatred against Japanese. And I keep warning Japanese, they've got an information campaign going on right now in Okinawa, trying to split the Okinawans off, like, hey, speak your old dialect, putting the old dialect on ATM machines, bank machines. Uh, you know, elevator buttons, old dialect that nobody really speaks anymore. And I was just over in Morocco with Chuck Holton, who's in Ukraine right now. We're driving down the road. Between Chuck and I, I've been to over 80 countries, right? I've spent more than half of my life outside of the United States. So more than 30 years, I've been outside of the United States, right? And so I've seen pretty much every written language that can be on a road sign. So we're driving down the road in Morocco. We're tracking migrant issues. And and I see this new language on the road signs. It's not Arabic. It's not English, obviously. And I said, Chuck, what's this? Have you ever seen this language? What is this? It looks like Furby talk. Like, so I said, you know what? I bet that's information more because, you know, I study that, uh, you know, uh, fastidiously. And, and sure enough, checked it out. It's a new written language that was invented from thin air. You know, the Berber class of languages, Berber is not a language, but it's a class of languages, sort of mm -hmm. like Latin, which say. And they don't have a written language. So they, you know, the, the information warriors uh, decided to make a written Berber language and, uh, and start putting it on road signs and having it in government meetings and that sort of thing. And instead of using, so there was a big argument in advance, should this just be modified Arabic? Because everybody knows the Arabic alphabet. Why not just do it in modified Arabic? They said, no, we need our own written language, which they've never had before. And so now you see that written language all over the place. And I kept asking Moroccans, what does this say? And they're like, oh, nobody really reads this language. They're just forcing it on us for some reason. They did the same thing in Thailand where my office is, trying to split Thailand in three parts, trying to get their people to speak their local dialects. I spent a year up in Nepal with the Maoists, often with the Maoists and all out in the mountains. Again, trying to get everybody to speak their own languages. I was down in Colombia last year with a senator named Maria Cabal. She's a... Uh, uh, a Colombian senator, and she's saying, Michael, why are they trying to get everybody to speak their own languages and dialects? Why are they trying to get them to fight each other? You know, and I said, well, Maria, they do this all over the world. This is a global 
information campaign, and they're trying to divide and conquer. They're telling people you shouldn't go to church, but the whiskey store is open. You know, they're trying exactly. to divide families apart. A great book on this case, by the way, is Rape of the Mind. Rape of the Mind. I've heard, I've heard a lot of people recommend that. Hey, Michael, can I take a quick commercial break? I want to come back and wrap up with you about the, uh, the People's Convoy, too, and some of the experiences there. Um, because I, I, we need to do a long form on, on my podcast for this where we can just sit down and talk for a long time because you have a lot of information over your career. But if I can take a commercial break, if you can hold over, I would really appreciate that. And then we'll come back and we'll wrap up uh, with you and, and get some information about the People's Convoy and kind of your experience there and getting across the country and, and kind of the people who participated. Can we do that? I'll clear the slate for you and spend all day with you. That's great, man. I appreciate it. Right now. There you right? go. I'll be back in just a couple of minutes. <laughs> We got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Once again, Casey Hendrickson here. Joining us, special guest Michael Yon, war correspondent, author, photographer. He's been embedded with the People's Convoy. And uh, as I've tried telling you all for years, I mean, I call him the Michael Yon for a reason, uh, just dropping a bunch of knowledge on you guys here in that first segment. Michael, again, thank you for the time. We will have to sit down and do a long form on the podcast or something where I can give you free reign to actually say what you want to say. Um, but tell us a little bit about the People's Convoy. I, I'm down really, really close, less than a minute. Uh, just kind of give the general overall experience of the People's Convoy for the audience. Hey, it's still ongoing. Uh, they're in Hagerstown, they're, they're camped at the Hagerstown Speedway in Hagerstown, Maryland, but they've been doing laps around the, the, uh, the Beltway in Washington, D.C. Two senators met with them two days ago. That would be uh, Ron Johnson and yeah. Senator Cruz met with them. Uh, yeah, and we're going we're to talk about that a little bit later. Mike, I hate to cut you off, man. I'm so sorry. I'm just on a hard okay. break, but I'll, I'll stay on. I'm going to talk to you uh, in the uh, news break on the phone, okay? Appreciate the time. Okay. 